listening to the podcast edition of One Love, One Planet. First off, residents of some western states may see intense heat this weekend, with temperatures forecast to reach far above 38 degrees. The heat wave is expected to hit parts of Arizona, California and Nevada especially hard. The National Weather Service office in Sacramento warns everyone to be prepared for dangerous heat conditions. And it does seem to be, yeah, I looked at the map, it seems to be across a lot of the western part of the USA. Um, New York State has passed a bill that would ban Bitcoin mining operations that use electricity from fossil fuel power plants. The state Senate voted 36 to 27 to impose a two-year moratorium on all cryptocurrency mines that use carbon-based energy sources in an effort to address environmental concerns with the technology. Bitcoin mining requires vast amounts of electricity in order to perform the complex so-called proof-of-work calculations that are used to generate new units of the cryptocurrency. Um, And if all that is as clear as mud to you, then I'm going to be talking to somebody, I hope, um, in a few weeks' time about this whole world of cryptocurrency and regenerative finance um, I think it's fascinating and I don't think it's going to go away Um, and I was just wondering how on earth do you tell where people are getting their power from if they're mining if if, where their computers are powered I don't know it's interesting anyway um, next bit of news flooding from the river Froome in Bristol will become a significant risk in the coming years due to the climate crisis over the next few decades peak river flows around Bristol are expected to increase by 70% meaning a higher chance of rivers bursting their banks Bristol City Council chiefs are warning that while the risk from the Froome is relatively manageable today it could soon worsen a new 7 Seven million dollar, sorry, seven million pound project of flood defence works around the river is expected to begin in two years' time, which will see a raft of measures address that growing risk in Bristol and South Gloucestershire. Um, and my final bit of news, obviously, this is just a tiny, tiny snapshot. I just sort of pluck these things from the ether. Um, Jackdaw, which is a new uh, gas field. You may have heard on the 1st of June last week, British regulators gave final approval to develop a new North Sea gas field called Jackdaw off the coast of Scotland. Britain's Business and Energy Secretary Kwasi Kwarteng said UK regulators approved the Jackdaw gas field being developed by Shell. And he said on Twitter, we're turbocharging renewables and nuclear, but we are also realistic about our energy needs now. Let's source more of the gas we need from British waters to protect energy security. Greenpeace Greenpeace responded by accusing the government of desperate and destructive action. You're not turbocharging renewables, you're turbocharging the climate crisis, it said. They also added, we believe permit approval could be unlawful and are considering taking legal action. More to come soon. And I have read that I think there is a really concerted effort now amongst campaigners and lawyers um, to be opposing these big carbon bombs, I think, as The Guardian um, called them. Um, Amelia, you were nodding there. Did you have anything 
to say? Um, I just remember there was a recent um, a recent case where Michaela Loach, the activist, and a team of two others, I think, took the UK government to court around subsidising um, fossil fuels. Um, some sort of nodding in the hope that that'll increase. Absolutely, time. absolutely. It did. I I only found out a bit this very late in the day. I'm going to try and find out a bit more. Um, and in the meantime, we are going to be hearing from. Um, where are they? Here we are. Um, last week, in fact, the day after Jack Daw approval was announced, you may have seen in the press that some young people threw loads of cans of red paint on the entrance of the main UK um, government hub in Edinburgh, the Queen Elizabeth building. They were members of Just Stop Oil. One of them was Jennifer Kowalski, who was the young woman who was arrested in the middle of the night after attending a protest in Glasgow and was told not to do it again. Um, She was there doing it again. And I'm going to play... before. Before they set out to do this action, some of these women um, recorded a piece to camera explaining why they were doing what they were doing. And I have, I've sort of cut them all together. So you're going to be hearing from Jennifer, Hannah, Orla and Rosie, all of whom were part of that action last week. I'm an environmental scientist and I'm about to throw paint at the government building in Edinburgh. I'm taking direct action today against the UK government because they've approved another fossil fuel project. I I really don't want to be doing it. I have to spend another night in a police cell. It might be illegal to take the direct action we're doing, but the greatest crime that is happening here today in the UK is the fact that the government has approved Jackdaw. I am taking action today because I want a secure future where I'm not, millions of people aren't going to starve to death. We need to take climate action now, and I'm not going to stop until the government listens to us. Like experts are saying, Code Red, last chance for humanity, are giving us all these warning signs, and they've been doing it for years, and yet the government is not only not listening, but they're actively going against it. I'm sick and tired of them feigning concern for my future. I'm terrified for my future, and the future for everybody else on this planet. People are dying. People are dying right now when the UK government thinks it's okay to approve new fossil fuel projects. What are we doing? That is absolutely ridiculous. We've been doing so many actions. I've been up on oil terminals for 30 plus hours and I thought that I could have a fucking break for one second, but now the UK government decides they're going to approve another fossil fuel project. What the actual hell? We need people to stop being apathetic to this. We need people to stop thinking that we can't change it because we absolutely can and we absolutely must. Well, you can hear the sort of passion and anger um, in the voices of those young women. And if you could see their faces as well, you would see it. Um, I think two of them were arrested. Jennifer was arrested along with um, another woman. And they were taken into custody, I think, for two nights. And then uh, there was a a hearing in court on Saturday. And I think they have been um, released pending another court date later this month which I suspect possibly they might not turn up for. I don't know. Um, But clearly they're just going to continue. And um, I received a message from... um, Uh, from Laura who is a resident in Bristol Um, coincidentally she contacted me yesterday and said could she please let some people know about um, a meeting 
um, that people might be interested in. So I'm now going to play this. Hello, I'm Laura, a supporter of the Just Stop Oil campaign based here in Bristol. For those who'd like to hear more about Just Stop Oil and come and meet some of the people who've been involved, come to one of our talks. The next ones are this week. We have one on Wednesday the 8th of June and Saturday the 11th of June at the Alma Church on Alma Road in Clifton from 7 o'clock to 9. It's a short talk to learn more about why we're doing what we're doing and then hear about some of the roles and some of the ways that you could get involved. The next talk is aimed to be on the 23rd of June at St Werberg's Community Centre, Hawley Road, St Werberg's, again between 7 and 9 o'clock at night. On a lighter note, we're also holding a monthly social. This month it's going to be at the Rising Sun Pub on Alfred Road, Windmill Hill, Bedminster, on Friday the 17th of June, from 6 o'clock till closing time. Come along, listen to some music, have a dance. We've got free vegan food available and just meet some of the people who share the love and commitment to try and step up and do something before it's too late. Come and join us for the Just Stop Oil campaign social on the 17th of June. Thank you for that, Laura. And um, uh, this is, yeah, to every, anyone listening, if you are doing something, um, some sort of climate action, um, anything like this, just do please get in touch either via, via BCFM or you can email the programme itself on one love one planet at outlook.com um, and I will be very happy to, to tell our listeners all about it. Um, I must just do two pieces of... Yeah, you see, this is, this is what I find really frustrating, this kind of news, this kind of information, um, the things we could be doing. So here is one... Um, Biofuel experts have claimed that hemp ethanol could replace gas and cost four times less if we grew more of it. Um, in 2001, biofuel expert Tim Castleman produced a research paper on his company's method for producing hemp, hemp ethanol and how much it would cost if produced on a large scale. Unlike hemp biodiesel, which is made from expensive seed oil, Hemp ethanol is made from the stalks of the plant, which are typically treated as waste or byproduct. Um, and I saw an article in The Guardian that was saying, why aren't we producing this miracle fuel, which is both fuel, um, which is a sustainable fuel, and food? Uh, so I'm, I think I'm going to try and get somebody on the programme to, to find out all about that. And the other piece that I found interesting was UN advisors on food suggests that seaweed could help feed the world and reduce the impact of the climate emergency. Um, speaking at the Hay Festival in Wales, Vincent Dumegel, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, sorry, highlighted that all of the approximate 12,000 known varieties of seaweed are edible and could be used to feed the entire world sustainably whilst repairing the climate but mitigating biodiversity loss and alleviating poverty. Many varieties are so nutritious that studies have estimated that 2% of the ocean would be sufficient to feed 12 billion people without using any animals or vegetable resources. Seaweed also releases much less carbon than land plants. So, you see, I think this is the thing. We have the solutions. Um, and this is, of course, this is one of the fantastic things that Amelia is doing, which is looking into solutions rather than just the problems. <laughs> 
going to talk about the Sustainable Fashion Week. Before we just get into it, I have one more piece of audio because it, it is so relevant and it's it sort of underpins the reasons why Amelia has, has done this. Um, and it's from, um, it's from Jason Main in Argentina. He is a journalist um, and he produced, he works in Todo Nota, Noticias. I'm really sorry if my accent's really bad. Um, and he produced a report about um, the Atacama Desert earlier on this year. It's, it's, um, it's called Massive Clothing Dump in the Atacama Desert. Um, and I got in touch with him and asked him if he would just tell us a bit about it um, because he was there. So this is one of the kind of problems that we get from fast fashion. Hi there, my name is Jason Main. I'm Argentinian journalist. And on last January, I went to at the Atacama Desert in Chile, where actually we saw a huge landfill of clothes, of brand new clothes. Some of them were brand new, even with a ticket. Uh, some of them were used, Someone, some of them were second-handed. And why is there all that amount of clothes? Well, it has to do what happens there. Uh, nearby, there is a city called Iquique. There, the importers, they can buy clothes and they don't pay taxes. So actually, they buy like huge containers of clothes that come from Europe or from the United States that they haven't been sold. So they buy very cheap and as they don't pay taxes, Actually, they don't care or they, they don't really know what they're buying. They just buy huge, huge of uh, clothes that they come by kilograms. So it's actually true that they don't know what actually they're buying. And then when they receive the clothes, they uh, see what they're going to sell and what they consider that they're not going to sell. They just decided to throw it away. They don't donate that. They just throw it to this landfill of clothes and uh, so actually we have two things uh, on one hand of course all that clothes uh, used resources and uh, they're not being really um, well used no because nobody's using actually that clothes and there we have another problem here in latin america we have a lot of people actually that uh, they are not in a very good uh, situation and of course with all that clothes maybe they are not cold at night so actually we have people that could use that cloth and that is not happening so we have a, a environment drama and social drama with all that thing going on in Atacama now in Chile actually they are for example working on a project that uh, they want to include an eco ticket on the cloth so actually you know how many resources have been used for that jean or for that sweater that you are buying. But of course, that still uh, is still on the Congress, so we don't have any news by now. Is this still happening? Is clothes being dumped in the Atacama Desert? Yes, actually, yes, it's still there. Uh, some people that live quite nearby, from time to time, they go and pick up something, but still there you can find a lot of clothes. It's very sad, it's very stunning. If you haven't seen the images, you can Google the um, cloth landfill in uh, Atacama and you can see these really, really sad images. 
Thank you so much, Jason, for giving us that picture and, and explaining a bit about why it's happening. And they are shocking. They're really shocking. And actually, um, Amelia, you were saying there is another similar, very large dump of clothes. That's right, yeah. In, um, uh, in Ghana, just outside Accra, it's um, called the um, Cantamanto Market. And there's so much um, European clothing waste gets shipped, exported down there. And it's causing huge problems, huge sort of clothing dumps. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so watch this space. And as I say, yeah, you can if you go if you go on YouTube and look up massive clothing dump in the Atacama Desert, you'll be able to see Jason standing on this sort of mountain of clothes. Um so yeah, thank you very much, Jason. Right, Amelia. Um I think possibly many of us are um, aware of the problems of fast fashion so maybe we won't go into that too much today um, because I really want to know about sustainable fashion week it sounds fantastic before we do can you just tell us a little bit about you and how this journey began for you how you came to to do this yeah of course um so I um, I was born in Bristol but I at the age of 10 moved to an organic farm out in West Somerset um and uh and even before we moved, I spent a lot of time on organic farms um, throughout most of my life. So I was aware of climate change and the need for um, living in harmony with nature from a very young age. Um, but uh, so inevitably sort of ended up working in sustainability um, in food for quite a few years. And, and then in about 2017, 2018, sort of felt like, I mean, Bristol's such an amazing hub for talking about sustainable food. It's like, it's the place uh, to understand about um, how we need to change our relationship with food. Uh, so I felt like I needed to sort of shift a little bit. And in looking at fashion, I've always loved fashion and I've always loved clothing. Um, but I felt like the fashion industry was just miles, miles behind other industries in taking action. Um, but also, for me, there were quite a few parallels as well between fashion and food in terms of land use and, and how, uh, how we use the land and how that impacts us, our health, uh, communities across the world and climate change. Um, and, of course, all of the clothing that we wear comes from the ground, whether it's uh, natural fibres like cotton or whether it's um, polyester and, and synthetic fibres like polyester and nylon. Um, just going back to your um, your speakers on the Just Stop Oil campaign, uh, I mean, it's so linked. We don't think about, when we pick out a, a top from a fast fashion brand, we don't think about the fact that uh, the, the majority of fibres used across the globe come from oil, um, which, of course, comes from the ground. So, yeah, between, between those parallels between food and fashion, I decided to shift into fashion and start seeing if I could add value um, and tried out a, um, a retail platform online selling women's wear that was sustainable, but realised that actually, of course, many people just switching from buying one product that was cheaper to another product that was better but more expensive wasn't necessarily the, like, the most accessible thing. So, um, so that's on pause, that retail platform. And now uh, I'm really focusing on how to make sustainability and fashion more accessible to people from all backgrounds. So whether you've got a big budget or a small budget, whether there's restrictions that you feel uh, around changing your fashion habits from a sort of a multitude of different contexts, um, we all need to make these positive changes. But we need Sustainable Fashion Week here to support people in making those changes in ways that work for them, that are relevant, that are accessible and that they can afford. Brilliant. Wonderful. Well, well done. Um, it's fantastic that you've got this going. Um, yeah, because it struck me, I was thinking about it, walking here to the studio this morning, um, 
we have all these things that we need like clothes and shelter and water and what have you and then at some point those things turn into there are elements of those things that we don't actually need but we want and desire and fashion is very much one of those isn't it we need clothes but at a certain point it becomes things we just want and it's fun um, and all those things about expressing our personality but we are having to get to the point where we're concentrating more maybe on what we need rather than want but you you seem to be turning um enabling us to carry on having fun with those things but in a way that's sustainable yeah absolutely because fashion i mean it's there's so much um potential for joy around fashion and we, we like you say clothing is a necessity uh, especially in the uk as we all know um and it's um but it's also got that um that ability to communicate so much about who we are and what we want from our lives through what we choose to wear um and so we want to make sure that that kind of that sense of fun and creativity and joy is is sort of held on to while we sort of switch gently nudge ourselves towards a more sustainable um approach um so we don't want to it's not a it's not an either or when people become more sustainable they're not losing anything and in fact they're gaining a lot Um, And yeah, we definitely want to keep that sense going. So, okay, Sustainable Fashion Week. What is it? What happens? What's it all about? So we um, we started this project. um, I launched it in 2019. So it's been going for a while, but COVID has got in the way and got in the way and got in the way. We had our first year last year and... um, uh, the format is um, we've got sort of two parts. So we here, here in Bristol, we have the hub, uh, which this year is going to be at the Bristol Beacon on the 17th and 18th of September. And there we've got talks, workshops, um, photo exhibitions, a marketplace, repairs, a clothes swap. We're trying to pack in as much as possible into that space. Um, so there's going to be loads going on there with a focus of um, information sharing and skills learning. But after those two days, we've got a full week that follows, which is our um, community events program. And throughout that time, people across Bristol um, and across the UK and even internationally, wherever people are based, they can take part by hosting a little mini event or workshop in their community, um, which can, again, just keep that community to community values sharing going, um, whether it's um, teaching people to sew or just sharing information. Um, there's um, like so many ways people can get involved. Um, so that's our program. It's quite mixed. And, and basically, it's, uh, there's just a huge variety of what will be on offer. It sounds brilliant. I mean, I have a carrier bag full of clothes that goes back. Oh, it's ridiculous. It goes back about 10, 15 years of things that I've got that I bought, looked at them, completely fell in love with them and they're slightly too big or it's just slightly not right. And I refuse to throw them away because I am going to alter them, but don't really want to necessarily take them to the tailors to do it because it will cost quite a lot of money. So I would. So is there is there maybe the opportunity for people to take along an existing kind of garment, and maybe learn how to adjust things? Is that the kind of workshop you'd be running? Well, we um, we've, we're trying to pack in so much at the hub that there may not be um, alterations workshops at the hub, but we do have um, introductions to um, sewing and mending broadly and upcycling. But in the community events program, mm. uh, there should be absolutely there should be, and this is obviously a, a call out right now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Anyone in Bristol who can help Penny alter her clothes during the week, um, get involved because <laughs> uh, we need you. Um, but that is exactly the kind of thing that we want to um, get going is a more access to those 
<clears throat> excuse me, those ki- kinds of um, activities which help people keep their clothing alive for longer. And one thing I love is um, darning and making clothes. It's like that Japanese um, practice of if a bowl is broken, you put it together and then paint the cracks in gold. And I like the idea of darning, but not necessarily using thread to conceal it, but but turn it into something else, into something really beautiful or interesting or funny or, again, as you say, that expresses your personality. I think all that sort of stuff is amazing. So if you're listening, right, right, if people are listening and think, oh, actually, I like the sound of that, presumably what do they do? Go on the website? And- yeah, website, um, sustainablefashionweek.uk or Instagram's a good one, which is sustainablefashionweek underscore UK. And, um, and we'll just keep feeding information um, over to our audience as the next couple of months go by. Um, but now's a good time to sort of have a think about getting involved because our programme will be finalised by, uh, hopefully, by the beginning of July. Right, okay. And just I just noticed you had a there was a tab about ambassadors. What's what's that? Um so we're trying to um what we don't want to do is take a really prescriptive approach where we go, right, this is what people should be doing, they shouldn't be shopping here, they should be shopping there. We we'd much rather sort of suggest um what we think is the best or you know, a variety of good courses of action, but we'd much rather people in the community are sharing that to within their networks their um, peer groups their community groups so it's not too prescriptive from from us so our ambassadors take our messaging into into their areas um, whether it's regional or just into their networks and um, and host little mini events that will obviously showcase and promote and celebrate so anybody can be an ambassador no matter where they're based and um, and it's very it's a very easy role it's just a matter of uh, making sure that we're passing on you know the messaging around sustainable fashion on the ground absolutely and are you having a fashion show we are yeah for the first Ooh. time it's very it's um it's very exciting because we haven't done this before but we're working with um, a number of community partners um for um for our first catwalk show which will be held at the mount without um but what's what I, we love about it is we've turned it on its head and it's not about showcasing anything which is uh, sort of brings an aspirational sense to the catwalk it's absolutely about our four themes which are regenerate rewear repurpose and reconnect um and each of our four community partners will be taking on one of those themes and showcasing sustainability through um yeah through that theme how interesting i love that and i just what i love about this is that fashion is so kind of dictated by I suppose, in a way, it feels like a relatively small number of people. And actually, I was reading a little bit about the cycles of fast fashion. It used to be that clothing ranges were changed, what, twice a year, maybe, for sort of winter and summer. And now what happens? It seems to have just speeded up and speeded up. There are... um now, I always forget the stats and the figures, but I was reading just the other day around, I think it was something along the, the lines of there would be sort of three drops a year. Um, and now it's uh, brands like Sheen or Shine, however you say it, are, are adding thousands of new items every week and every month. Um, and it's, I mean, it's now, it's not even fast fashion anymore. These brands uh, were terming it as like ultra fast fashion. It's so quick that... Um, 
it's kind of mind-blowing, really. Yeah, and it's got really confusing. I mean, I remember, oh my gosh, way, way back when, it, there was a real sense of, oh, at last, we've got the new stuff in. Um, and there was a sense of change and renewal and refreshment. But we, I mean, we bought so few, this was, I'm talking about like the 70s. You know, we bought so few clothes then um, that there was a real, it, it, it really felt kind of special. Um, and now what I notice is, another thing I notice is, if I am ever shopping online, um, the sheer number of different garments, different pieces of clothing that one shop will have is just ridiculous. I mean, it's hundreds. It's really overwhelming, I find, it as well. It is overwhelming. Yeah. It's absolutely overwhelming. You just don't know where you are. Mm. It's crazy. Um, yeah, so it, it does feel like this thing that is spinning out of control. And now, what was it? I found a statistic um, and I know we have to be very careful about statistics, don't worry. Um, Amelia was saying we, do, you know, we really do have to be careful. But where are we? Uh, it was a study by, published by a Finnish professor, Kirsi Nyanimiki, um, which estimates that the fashion industry now consumes 79 trillion litres of water per year. Um, and it was talking about... it. The, it's responsible for about 20% of industrial water pollution from textile treatment and dyeing, as well as contributing about 39% of oceanic primary microplastic pollution. And, of course, we've heard a lot about microplastics. Um, and in addition, fashion brands are now producing almost twice the amount of clothing today compared with before the year 2000, when the fast fashion phenomena started. Um, in the USA, this is, sorry, this was the statistic. In the USA, the average consumer, and that's the average, now purchases one item of clothing every five and a half days. Wow. I mean, that's just, what, that's just crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm trying to cut down. I'm sort of, I'm not bad on clothing, actually. I was trying to work out thinking about our conversation I was trying to think when was the last time I bought something new and it was last year I bought my boots that I'm wearing today because I wear them until they fall off me um but I really love the idea of clothes swaps because I would like to have some new clothes and I do the charity shops and stuff but clothes swaps I would like to do have you have you been to a clothes swap? Yeah, we've um, we've been hosting them across the city this year as a kind of uh, like a, a run up to the big event, and um, I've been amazed at how popular they are because I I wasn't um, I hadn't been to many beforehand. But it's I mean one of the issues that we're facing is as as that um, desire for pre loved and vintage clothing goes up, which is great. Uh, also, the prices go up, so that's that going back to accessibility mm. again. Um, and actually, it's Clothing Poverty Awareness Week this week, which um, and clothing poverty is on the rise, and so that those rise in prices for secondhand clothing is really problematic uh, for many people in the community. But clothing swaps are a great way of just being able to get, like, to either just to refresh your wardrobe if you fancy it, you know, because we all love that that sense of pleasure when we get something new. Like I say, mm. we don't necessarily need, but we want. Um, but also, if we do need something new, it's a great way of just being able to refresh a wardrobe and just swap clothing without there being any kind of paywall um, involved. Yeah, and I think one of the big shifts that we've made, particularly young people, is that we no longer have that obsession with things having to be new for it to feel 
worth full of you know value uh, that seems to be a major kind of paradigm shift I think which is brilliant it's amazing and I think it's I mean we've been so um tied up with the idea of possession for such a long time which was something that I think is relatively new like communities would historically um on the ground at least like share quite a lot and it's a and we're hopefully reverting back to that kind of model to some extent at least yeah, mm, that would be great. Mm. the other thing I was thinking of I it would be really good um I was thinking in our local street to have shops where you can hire all those different kinds of things that you might need be it something for an interview be it an evening dress something really fancy be it fancy dress you know I don't know wetsuits all those things you might need but only every now and then you know I mean how perfect would that be to hire a wetsuit that would be ideal um we've been working with this amazing um uh, woman called Maria from Where My Wardrobe At who does local rentals so she doesn't do wetsuits yet but she does do um, clothing for evening wear and occasion wear and I think that's such a great model as well because you can get something really special mm. um, you can walk and pick it up and uh, and borrow it and look fabulous for a night but not have to invest you know, And where is that? She's based in Bedminster um, but she's online as well so you can find and her And what's easily. her name? Where My Wardrobe At Where My Wardrobe yeah. At, okay you heard it there She's um, one of our catwalk partners as well Oh, fantastic. When is the fashion show? I really, I like the sound of this. Yeah, it's Wednesday the 21st of September. Right, okay, okay, fantastic. I think we're done, unless there's anything else that you want to tell our listeners. Um, We just want to say that we love Bristol and we're so pleased that Sustainable Fashion Week is uh, is based here. It's the perfect city, I think, for this kind of action. Um, And we do want as many of the different Bristol communities to get involved. So um, so if there's any question, just drop us a line, get in touch. If you'd like to do something, but you're not sure how or where to start, um, definitely ask us. um, And obviously then come and enjoy the events that are happening in September. Brilliant. And you, if you send, if there's any messages you'd like me to sort of give out as well, please do. Yeah, we'll do. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, very exciting. It's a whole new world, I think. So we have, I'm glad I've got time to play this. Um, West, you may remember West Bristol Climate Action um, got in touch. In fact, it was last year because they were doing a fundraiser for a wildflower meadow that they wanted to create. Um, and they have started doing it. And by all accounts, um, it's doing very well. And We've heard from, uh, where are we? It's, it's Dan Gera, who was in, in, um, involved with it. He's, he's just, he got in touch to tell us all about it. So here he is. Hello, this is Dan Gera, a local environmentalist who volunteers for the West Bristol Climate Action Group, the team responsible for creating a wildflower meadow on Clifton Hill uh, near Goldney Avenue in Clifton. The site itself is a sunny facing south slope and we are really trying to promote as much pollinator and colour to be in the centre of Clifton. I'm stood there right now and I'm looking at oxeye daisies, poppies, cornflowers, yellow rattle, chicory, so many 
plants right in the heart of Clifton. And its main purpose isn't just for that pollinator benefit, so helping the bees and the butterflies, it's also to show and demonstrate how easy and how um, beautiful that wildflower meadows can be. As a habitat, wildflower meadows have been rapidly lost in the UK, with 97% of them being lost since after the Second World War in 1945. And what we're trying to demonstrate as a collective is that any small little area, you know, whether it's uh, your local garden, green space, park, could potentially contribute to the, rap the rapid decline of pollinators. The planting itself, we have tried to do it a bit scientifically. There's many different ways that we can establish wildflower meadows and therefore at Clifton Hill, instead of going for just one, we've tried to do three different techniques. Uh, the first technique was hand-turning the soil. So we used spades with groups of volunteers to turn the soil and the grass um, to make it face down and scattering seeds on that. And that happened in November 2021. The, the next section, instead of turning the soil, we actually did not disturb it at all and heavily raked it. So we stripped back the grass with rakes until we revealed bare soil and then we seeded and planted as per the previous site, so back in November 2021. And then the third and final site, which is approximately 20 metres away from me, um, instead of um, doing it in autumn last year, we actually did it in spring this year, so April 2022, and we, uh, we mechanically rotivated it. So similar to a farmer who ploughs the field, we got a... Uh, a, con a council team member to come and disturb the soil for us and then we scattered seeds on it. Early results showing that the, the, the wildflowers on that first site, so the ones that were seeded on disturbed soil in November, are yielding best. However, who knows what happens in the longer term. It seems to be becoming a bit of a popular attraction across within Clifton and would highly recommend that anyone who is walking by or lives in the neighbourhood to come and give it a look. Hope that's enough information what you need, but do visit our website, which is westbristolclimateaction.org, and you can learn a bit more about this site and other projects that we're working on. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dan, for that. And I love the sort of scientific approach to it. Um, and if you want to go and see... The, um, see that it's on Clifton Hill and it will be this is part of the Clifton and Hotwell's Open Gardens event on the 11th and 12th of June so volunteers from West Bristol Climate Action and Avon Wildlife Trust will be there available at times to talk about the meadow and the wildflower lawn if you're interested in doing something in your area um, and I know from personal experience of trying to uh, create a food garden in our local park how much other people's knowledge and previous experience can help stop you reinventing the wheel um, so yeah do go along and have a look at that um, so yeah thank you very much Dan for that we are all out of time. Um, next week, I'm going to be talking to Christina Wheeler, who is a film producer and produces, um, she's producing a series of po beautiful podcasts called River, River Journeys. Um, so she's going to be in the studio next week. So until next week, bye-bye. <music>